Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. Ten years before the world-famous Amateurville haunting case came to the public attention, a little-heard-of but terrifying event took place in the sleepy town of Pontefract in England. It was an ordinary house, in an ordinary street, where extraordinary things began to happen. It is widely acknowledged as Europe's most violent haunting and is still active today. Or is it... My name is Anne Rekovich. And I'm Renata Daniel. And this is the True Hauntings Podcast. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Welcome to True Hauntings. My name is Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich. And we are here with our second episode, this time featuring a poltergeist story. And this is somewhere we have actually been, Miss Anne. It is. We Look, we took a trip to England and we tried to cram in as many haunted locations as we possibly could. And I... This was my bucket list. It was. This is the one that we had to plan everything else you around getting there. pleaded with me. Please, <laughs> can we go? And uh, we even ended up trying to fit in the Arthur Findlay College where we were going to do a trans mediumship workshop. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that that was going to be on the same day. And, like, we, we were travelling Hours and hours to be able to fit this in and get back to the Arthur Finlay and then turn around and head back north again. Yes. That was just bizarre. It was crazy, but worth doing. Absolutely. And we'll tell you more about our experiences in the Blackfriar Poltergeist House in Pontefract a little later in the episode. Around seven that evening, Mrs. Scholes was watching television when Philip said, Grandma, it, 
It's happening again. The kitchen bench at the side of the sink was covered with sugar and dry tea leaves. What could have happened? As they watched, the button of the tea dispenser above the sink went in and out of its own accord and more tea showered everywhere. As they stared at it in horror, the button went gently in and out and more tea cascaded down on the draining board. It went on and on until the dispenser was empty, but even then, it didn't stop. The button continued to go in and out and in and out. Finally, Mrs Scholes found her voice. She shouted, Stop it! Startling Philip, who thought he was being accused of shenanigans. Indignantly, he cried, I can't! It's doing it on its own! As he spoke, there was a crash from down the hallway. They looked at one another, terrified, wondering who had invaded their home. Bravely, they opened the door, wanting to know what had happened, but at the same time terrified out of their minds. They expected to see something horrible, but the hall was empty. As they stood there, dumbfounded, the hall light clicked on, causing them both to jump. They crept down the corridor to the foot of the stairs where they saw what had made the noise. A plant that normally stood at the base of the stairs was now halfway up them and missing its pot. The pot was on the landing above. It seems a poltergeist had decided to take up residence in the Pritchard's family home. It was an ordinary house in an ordinary street where extraordinary things began to happen. We're taking you to Pontefract, a little township where at its height it was the fourth largest town in modern-day Yorkshire and its castle was deemed one of the most unassailable in the country. Modern-day Pontefract can be traced back to the Saxon times. The name Pontefract is taken from the Latin pons, meaning bridge, and fractus, meaning broken. I sometimes wish I'd learnt Latin at school, but then again I look at it and I think, no, I can barely manage English. So, yeah, I've learnt a little something today. Let's leave Latin in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Unless we're going to summon a demon, which I really don't feel like doing today. Oh, well, you know, it's only Monday. (laughs) Let's see what happens tomorrow. So Pontefract's main claim to fame nowadays is its historical buildings and its licorice factory. Oh, yum. Mm -hmm. In the 18th century, licorice was used as a medicine for both humans and for horses. And you know what happens if you eat too much licorice? Yeah, well, that's what it was used for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Pontefract also did have two large monasteries and a famous hermitage for monks who liked dwelling in caves. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, monks that like to dwell in caves. Okay. Yeah, yep, yep. Fair enough. It sounds and like the title of a band or something mm, or an album. Mm-hmm. The Hermitage is actually mentioned in one of Shakespeare's plays. Ooh. So, yes, it did It did exist. None were near the Checkerfield estate, which prior to being a council estate was largely a licorice field. Now, I'm just having visions 
of picking licorice sticks off mm. plants. <laughs> yes, if it was only that easy, but no. So if you stood outside the Church of All Saints in Pontefract, built around the 14th century, you could actually see the housing estate of Checkerfield on the opposite hilltop. Now, this is allegedly the place where the town gallows once stood, not far from the semi-detached house where the famous poltergeist, which they named the Black Monk, made its home. Ah, so not too far from the gallows. Mm, Interesting. Allegedly. Allegedly. Number 30 East Drive the home of this poltergeist, is built over where there was once a bridge called the Priest's Bridge, which sat over the top of a small running stream. Ah. Now, in 1966, living at number 30 were Jean and Joe Pritchard, their son Philip, aged 15, and daughter Diane, aged 12. Mm-hmm. Now, the events of this whole story began in the August of that year, 1966, during the August bank holiday week. The family had gone on holiday to Devon, leaving 15-year-old Philip at home with his grandmother, Sarah Scholes. Oh, I bet that was a fun time. Yeah. Um, I think Philip and his father may have had an argument and Philip was made to stay at home as punishment. Oh, I bet it wasn't punishment. I bet any 15-year-old boy that didn't have to travel with his family on a road trip would be thinking, yes, I win. Yeah, I'm not sure whether Devon (laughs) is the destination. I may be wrong. So while alone in the house, Sarah felt a cold gust of wind despite the warm weather outside. When Philip entered the house, he noticed white powder falling from midair all around the living room onto the floor. Their first thought was that it was somehow falling from the ceiling. However, the house had very recently been redecorated, so they thought that's kind of impossible. And it wasn't actually from the ceiling. It was like apparently a foot down or um, 30 centimetres away from the ceiling. It was like falling out of midair. I think they kind of said it was like it was hovering. Yeah. It's really weird. So at this point, the pair were more confused than scared. Sarah went to consult her daughter, Marie, Marie, Marie Kelly, yeah. Marie Kelly, who lived just across the road. When Marie saw the white powder, she went into the kitchen to get a cloth to clean it up and promptly slipped in a pool of water that had formed on the kitchen floor. Numerous puddles of water began appearing and as soon as Marie wiped one up, another would appear. Oh, that would give you the poos, wouldn't it? (laughs) Mm. Joe's sister-in-law, Enid Pritchard, who lived down the road, came to see what all the commotion was about. Being a practical type, which they all are up in North Yorkshire. Very much so. She immediately went and turned off the water at the meter. It made no difference and the pools of water still appeared. She even lifted up some of the linoleum. For some of you that are just too young to know what <laughs> linoleum is. A bit you of may, lino. You may, you may have to, to look that one up. Uh, and check underneath it and it was dry. Now, I, I like her way of thinking, though, that she went and turned the water off at the source mm-hmm. to make sure that it wasn't a leak somewhere. Mm-hmm. Clever chook. Mrs. Kelly decided to report the water leaks to the water board, who advised her that they would send someone round as soon as they could. Later that evening, the man from the water board appeared. 
After much checking of pipes and prodding of drains, he came to the conclusion that the water must be condensation. Well, he's not going to say it's paranormal. (laughs) No. He went away to report the problem to his manager and an hour later the pools of water stopped appearing. But this was only the beginning. This was when the incident happened that we mentioned in our introduction. Yeah, with the tea. The and tea the, caddy and the pot plant. They had some sort of dispenser that they had on the wall and you press the button and it would um, drop the tea out. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think I've ever seen those here in Australia. Mm. They do love their tea in England. They we do. do. Know that. And it was this before tea bags were invented. Oh, well, <laughs> that must be your era. Right. <laughs> Let's move on. As if this wasn't enough to fray their nerves, another sound rang out from the kitchen, making them jump once again. They saw that the crockery cupboard was vibrating as though someone was trapped inside and trying to get out. As soon as Philip snatched open the door, the vibration stopped, while almost immediately another loud banging noise started up somewhere else in the house. Sarah noticed a sudden chill in the air and decided to fetch Marie Kelly again. Oh, poor Marie. She must be thinking the whole <laughs> Mars, place is crazy. Yeah, Mars lost the plot. <laughs> yeah. As soon as Marie stepped into the kitchen, she was confronted by the shaking crockery cupboard and the sound of the cups and plates inside rattling. Sarah then went next door to ask the neighbours, Mr and Mrs Mountain, if they were responsible for the banging noises. Yeah. That was awkward. (laughs) Excuse me, is that you making the banging noises? (laughs) Mrs Mountain looked in amazement at Sarah saying, we thought it was you. By the time Sarah returned, the noises had thankfully stopped. The three of them sat discussing the events until around 9.30pm when Marie left hoping it was all over for the night. Philip decided to go to bed and Sarah figured a good night's sleep was needed also. It'd be hard to just go to bed after all of that. Yeah, I'd be up drinking multiple cups of coffee myself. (laughs) You do anyway. Mm, I know. (laughs) After locking up and switching off the downstairs lights, Sarah went into Philip's room to wish him good night. As she did so, a heavy chest of drawers began swaying without explanation. This was the final straw for the night. Philip and his grandmother left the house and went to sleep at a neighbour's out of fear for their safety. I don't blame them. I don't blame them either. So they went over to Marie and Vic's place. So Vic is the husband of Marie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very family-oriented story, this it one is. I found. I actually end up having to draw a map to work out who, who was who. who. <laughs> now, look, I did a bit of research on this and I found this great book called Extreme Hauntings, Britain's Most Terrifying Ghosts by Paul Adams and Eddie Brazil. Um, and apparently what they did then is um, Vic's Sorry, Marie's husband, Vic, then went down the road to the O'Donnell's house and Mm -hmm. there was a a fellow there who was a little bit into all this ghosty sort of stuff. Um, Once again, he lives on East Drive. Interesting. And we never know his first name. No. They only call him O'Donnell. (laughs) (laughs) So he was an amateur ghost hunter and he went back to the house with them. So he had a bit of knowledge and uh, he listened to their stories and, he said that he believed that what they were experiencing was poltergeist, poltergeist activity. So he was the first person to name this as a poltergeist. 
So he he looked over the house. He sort of examined behind the walls and everything, and trying to work out some logical explanation. And then they sat down to try and see what would happen. So they waited about an hour and a half, and there was no signs of any further disturbances. And they decided to call it a night. And Mister O'Donnell went back to his own house. So he's chuffed off, and as soon as he's left, the Kellys were going down to. Uh, lock up the front door, they heard a crash from the living room. When they went in there, they found some small framed paintings and a photograph, a wedding portrait of the Pritchard family, had been knocked onto the floor and the photograph had been cut from top to bottom. Now, they'd all been in there a short while before and, you know, they saw the house was intact. But the thing I found interesting with this story is that O'Donnell had said that part of the phenomena that happens with poltergeists, apart from the banging and the crashing, was that photos can sometimes be torn up. Interesting. Has the poltergeist or the entity or whatever it was in there heard them, list off the things that happen, and was he doing something that they had just explained might happen? Hmm. We hear more about this as the story goes on. So when Mr. and Mrs. Pritchard returned from their holiday, the disturbances stopped, which is often what happens as well. They concluded that the phenomena must have had some logical explanation, especially since for the following two years after that, they lived in peace with absolutely no paranormal activity. I reckon Philip got a big smacking They that they believed that it was Philip mm. who was just playing pranks on his grandmother and the visitors to the house. Yeah, and that was actually reported by a, an amateur paranormal team who declared that they thought it might have been Philip that was... Um, just playing pranks. Yeah, maybe he was upset it, that he didn't go to Devon with the rest of the family. <laughs> maybe. that That is actually a, a good explanation mm. if he was keen to go. But you imagine Mr and Mrs Pritchard, Joe and Jean, coming back to all those stories about all of that and all the witnesses as well. Yeah. Remember, though, most of the witnesses were known by the family at that stage. Yep. So we didn't have anyone new, as far as we know, come in. Mm. That happened later on. So we've had two years of comparative quietness, silence, nothing, and then all of a sudden it starts again. So this time the main target of all the new activity seems to be Diane Pritchard. Aha. Uh-huh. Now how old is Diane at this stage? Oh, well, she'd be about 14. Mm. She'd be about 14 going on to 15. And she is often thrown from her bed, she's pushed and she's scratched. And so common is this paranormal activity that Mrs Pritchard and Mr Pritchard decide to call this poltergeist, because remember he's been named the poltergeist, Mr Nobody. And they try to take away the fear behind all of this strange stuff by giving it a name. Now, one of the things that is said is to not name entities. So many paranormal investigators will say, do not name them because then they become real. You start to feed into yes. the energy that is there. But then I actually don't mind the fact that they tried to call it a name that would disempower it, so to speak. 
Yeah, but then Mrs. Pritchard decided to change the name and call him Fred. <laughs> so I don't know when that happened, but, yep, so Fred yep, now comes Fred. into existence. <laughs> now, the Pritchards tried to get help many times and they asked different people to come over and see what was happening for themselves and offer advice. They weren't very big on getting the media in, were they? No. They tried to actually keep it very, very quiet. They didn't want any attention about this at all. Remember they were living in a um, in a community really mm. and so anything that affected one family would affect the whole community. And you can imagine, which is what happened, and we'll talk about this later, when the story gets out, Mm -hmm. you know, with one of these things. So in September 1968, two young reporters called into the township. They found out very quickly about the poltergeist story and, of course, what did they do? They went off to gather information and they wrote about this in newspaper articles. So the poltergeist story appeared in the Yorkshire Evening Press and the Pontefract and Castle Ford Express, where it was called Invisible Hand Rocks Family. This would have been the most exciting thing happening in Pontefract (laughs) for years. So people started to knock on the family's front door, asking if they could stay the night to see the ghost. See, this is what now happens. And a local bus driver was overheard telling his passengers that's the haunted house, as he drove up to the house and stopped out the front. Even a group of students from a nearby township called the family asking if they could camp out on their front yard. No. Peering through the windows of the family going about its everyday business. No. Yes. (gasps) Mrs Pritchard refused all of the offers. Good honour. But as the summer months grew warmer, they often found groups of people camping out the front. That was just sort of over the road from where the house was. I do remember that because we, when we went there, we were parked on the side road and it was like a um, a little... Mini roundabout Yeah, sort of yeah, but it was a bit bigger than that yeah. and it had, had a couple of trees on there. So they started to camp on there. They wow. started to camp there to see if they could catch anything happening. Now, this very much reminds me of early stories that we have that would appear in local newspapers here in Australia going back to the uh, late 1800s where if a paranormal activity was encountered in a home, the whole neighbourhood would turn up and spend hours every night watching out to see if anything (laughs) happened. And England always seemed to be like that sort of place where people would peer through curtains to see what was going on with the neighbours. Well, the windows were right on the walkways. Yeah. So you were literally walking past people's windows and uh, rooms. And it wasn't polite to actually talk about it, but they would spy. Of course they So you can imagine how this just affected the, the family. Yeah. And also the people that were living in this, because now they've got busloads of people that are coming through, people camping in their parks. So what they tried to do is they tried to get some help. Mm-hmm. So they contacted um, the local church and they got the Reverend Davy to come and visit the Pritchards in the hope that he could perform an exorcism and rid the house of its unwanted visitors. Now, exorcism is not as easy as you think it is because you have to get certain permissions and witnesses and because they had a problem with an exorcism that was performed and somebody died, they weren't keen to give out permission to exorcism anymore. True. So we've got Reverend Pritchard that comes in 
and he had explained to them, you can't do an ex- exorcism, but you know he will do the best he can under the circumstances. He was suggesting that it was natural causes, uh, and no doubt that was the root of all the Pritchard's pro- problems, noises, movement of objects were caused by subsidence, and all of the silly stories of ghosts could easily be explained as ordinary events. Mm-hmm. So as the Reverend continued to speak, the knocking noises started. And then we had an ornamental brass candlestick flipped off the mantelpiece and landed on the floor at his feet. Less than a minute later, a second candlestick moved, but this time it rose up off the shelf, drifted horizontally a short distance across the room and then fell to the carpet. Almost immediately afterwards, there was an incredible noise that sent the Pritchards and the local vicar hurrying into the dining room. There, all the crockery from the kitchen cupboard was lying scattered and unbroken over the floor. The formerly sceptical Reverend Davy declared that there was an evil presence in the house and they should burn it to the ground. No. (laughs) Um, He advised the family they should move on to another property, but... The Pritchards were very stoic people. Joe was a miner, and they were like, hell no, this is our house. This is not scaring us out of here. Now, the interesting thing about this is that a lot was always explained through subsidence Mm -hmm. because, of course, just like where we live here in Newcastle, the whole city was undermined and there were coal mines everywhere. The problem was that if anything happened and was said to be subsidence, things would fall down. The issue that you hear here is that Reverend Davy saw the candlesticks rise. And go horizontal. This could not be explained (laughs) and pushed away as subsidence. Now, look, later the same evening, Diane, now this is the 14-year-old daughter, was about to go up to bed and all of a sudden the temperature plunged. Now, this is a thing with paranormal investigators. They they look at this temperature plunging as a sign of paranormal activity. And mm-hmm. from what I've heard, the explanations is it's the, uh, en- the entity is drawing the energy from the environment, which causes the temperature to drop. Mm-hmm. That's the theory, just repeating it. So um, that was the signal that another wave of activity was about to begin. All the lights in the house suddenly went out by themselves, plunging the family into darkness. <gasps> On previous occasions, Joe had found that the poltergeist had switched the power off at the meter. So what he did is he went under the stairs and he went to investigate what was happening there. Then there was a sudden movement in the downstairs hallway. An oak hall stand together with an electric sewing machine that was resting on it, became animated and slid forwards, cornering Diane at the foot of the staircase. As she tried to push it away, the poor girl tripped and fell backwards and was pinned. So she got pinned down by this stuff. That would have been horrifying. It was. Now, the the parents had been trying to pull this furniture off, but it was like it was glued onto her and she couldn't, they just couldn't move it. At the same time, the lights all came back on by themselves um, and they've got this frightened, trapped girl. Now, as they were struggling to get it off and with absolutely no success whatsoever, Diane tried something a little different. She tried to relax. Instead of 
having this fear heighten with the situation she was in. And God love her that she was able to relax. But as she relaxed, the power that was holding it down lessened. And they were then able to get the furniture off her and it all came back to a normal weight. Now, we've actually experienced um, the furniture becoming heavy and immovable when we do our table tipping sessions in our seance work. Mm -hmm. And, like, I have pushed and to the point that the top of the table was bending. Yeah. And it would not move. So that's just a really interesting little note for me. So the poor old teenager went upstairs, but guess what happened? The coldness followed her all through her bedroom and they hadn't finished for the night. Soon afterwards, the sheets and blankets were being pulled away by invisible hands. The mattress was flipped over, dumping her onto the floor and... The family said that this happened about four times in that one night. Oh, poor Diane. She would have been exhausted. Yeah. So then they've reached out to another family member or sort of this extended family, Renee Holden. Yeah, Renee Holden. Now, Renee Holden is the sister of Uncle Vic. And Uncle Vic is? Now, that's Marie's husband. Marie's husband. We've, we've, we've got a map on the, the wall <laughs> behind us so we can keep referring to it to work out who is who. So Renee used to read tea leaves and, and read tarot cards and was known amongst her friends for her psychic abilities. You've got to watch these people that read tarot cards. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> They're pretty dangerous. So she was interested in anything that was spooky and weird, as you would be. And she'd visited a number of times and felt the poltergeist was drawing energy from both Philip and Diane Pritchard in order to manifest. Mm -hmm. So she's turned it around a little bit and said, there must be a living source. and A battery, so to speak. Yeah, it must be the kids. Because also they used to complain about stomach aches during periods when there was physical phenomena happening. And in much the same way, I guess, that Renee would have thought that sitters in a physical medium seance can also experience a pulling of energy from their solar plexus Mm -hmm, area to allow spirits to manifest, to come through or to give their energy to the medium who is making themselves available for the spirit to come forward. Yeah, and I actually sort of like the way she's thinking with these two kids, but we'll talk about that later. Keep going. Mm. So Renee suggested the family should try and communicate with the ghost um, and that maybe the ghost... The poltergeist. Yeah, she's calling it a ghost. Yeah, so she was. she's yeah. she's giving it an intelligence now. Um, maybe the ghost was just trying to be understood. Now, Renee was one of the only people that actually felt compassion for this entity. Most others were yeah, not so kind. Mm. But let's go back. We said when the Pritchards held an impromptu seance in the hallway. They were standing in a circle with their hands joined together. And that hallway area is not very big. Mm, No, none of the rooms there are very big. Yeah, it's a very small little, um, as they say, it's what we would call here like housing commission. Yeah. 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 So were pelted with items from the bedrooms upstairs. Can you imagine this? Sheets, clothes, even a mattress coming, flying down the stairs at them. They're standing in this circle. I'm just imagining them standing there saying, I'd like to talk to the spirit involved, and a mattress comes flying down the stairway at them. I shouldn't laugh. It would be terrifying at the time. So as you can imagine, they just threw that 
idea yeah, away. Abandon that, nope. run away. So similar, similarly, when Vic Kelly tried to perform his own exorcism. Now Vic's the husband oh, of Marie. Yeah. Um, using the holy water provided by his local Catholic priest, his efforts were rewarded with loud banging noises and the appearance of streams of water coming through the living room ceiling. So he's sprinkling a little bit of holy water here and there and the ghost or poltergeist, whatever it is, makes water, sheets of water run down the walls. Yeah, as if to say, yeah, go on, do something better, will you, because that's pretty ordinary. So it really seemed that the poltergeist would react to anything with a religious intent. Yeah. That's what made it really, really angry. But it, it, it was sort of like it was indifferent to it. It wasn't affected by it. It just annoyed it. Yeah. So they, they got a little bit more hostile. Um, another encounter showing the what I think is the, the poltergeist almost sense of humour because he, like with the priest, he wanted, um, the priest was saying, oh, it's all logical. And, mm-hmm. of course, the poltergeist demonstrates it's not. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> and now we've got another character coming in, Art Maud, which um, is Joe Pritchard's sister. So now we've got the whole family involved oh, the, by now. It's a very like, big everyone family Everyone knows. <laughs> um, I had to laugh at this. It was a bit funny. So she's telling them very loudly how none of this was true. Mm-hmm. It's all in their imaginations mm-hmm. and they should stop all this nonsense. Then the fridge door opens in front of all of them mm-hmm. by itself and out floats a jug of milk. So it's floated out across into the living room, stopped above Aunt Maud's head, hovered for a little bit and then upended itself, covering her in milk. And Maud took this as a sign that she should leave, but not before she could find her gloves. So she started ranting on at the poltergeist and then began to sing Onward Christian Soldiers. Because she was a Salvation army. She was. Yes. So she was singing the song in an attempt to ward off the evil attacks, only to find that her gloves were now floating in the room with an unseen pair of hands in there conducting her performance. Yes. Wouldn't you have paid anything to be there? (laughs) Oh, to be a fly on the wall for that one. Oh, my gosh. So other phenomena include a grandmother clock lifting off the wall and being thrown down the stairs. They also found enormous wet footprints that were larger than a man's and they appeared on the hall carpet overnight. There was a brass crucifix that was uh, on the kitchen mantelpiece and that was thrown off and across and hit Diane's back like a magnet. So it just stuck to her like a magnet. This, this is becoming a really bad movie. <laughs> um, a shower of house keys fell down the chimney and in the kitchen. And that was on top of Mrs Pritchard, so she had her head in the fireplace cleaning it out. Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden these keys just showered down on her. And Only these, two of them belong to the house, yeah, by the way. Yeah, where the other keys come from? This particular poltergeist had a thing about keys mm. too. Mm. Uh, and then eggs dematerialised out of a closed box, reappeared in mid-air in the centre of the living room and then exploded into fragments. See, I'd be annoyed by now because they're making a mess in my house. Yeah. I, yeah. I have enough trouble cleaning up as it is, never mind a poltergeist exploding eggs in there. Yeah. And then we have one really horrific 
um, episode for Joe, the father. Now, he was a miner and they had a little room in the cottage where he would put all the coal. And as a miner, he was actually given free coal. It was part of their allowance that they were allowed to bring home. So they could essentially keep their family warm for the whole of winter free of charge. Yeah. So this is called the coal hole. And apparently he went in at one point in time to get some coal for the evening and was violently assaulted. And he never spoke about what actually happened in there but it really shook him to the core. Now, I remember seeing a part of um, a Most Haunted episode Mm -hmm. where Yvette Fielding and one of the other members of the crew (laughs) get locked in there and apparently something pretty horrible happens to them in there as well. Mm. And Renata, didn't you actually go into the coal hole? I did go into the coal hole and and I sat there. You did? Did they shut the door on you? They did. And how did you feel? I, I guess I was expecting something to happen or hoping for something to happen. But nothing happened. I do remember a REM pod going off. Yes, that was on the seat. There was a seat in there and the REM pod went off once. So the REM pod is a proximity sensor and it puts out a bubble of EMF field. So um, for it to alarm, it means that something has come within that field to make it alarm. That was interesting. Mm. It's interesting how uh, stories prime you. Mm -hmm. It's very different when you walk into a site and you don't know anything, but if you've read or seen movies or known anything about a place, it can tend to prime you and you're actually expecting things to happen. Which can actually be a problem in an investigation because it creates that what they call confirmation bias. You're only looking for what is happening to confirm the stories that Mm. you've heard about. Anyway, on with the story. On with the story. So another interesting thing about all of this is that all of this carry-on by the poltergeist usually didn't occur until quite late in the evenings. So this was around the same time that the children were always being put to bed. It was like the poltergeist was actually acting like a naughty child, refusing to go to bed have the lights off, be quiet, so create noise, throw things, literally chuck a tanty. Oh, naughty poltergeist, go sit in the corner. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. (laughs) Now remember, it's been two years. All of this horrible stuff has been now going on for quite some time. Then it ramps up for the very last time. And it begins to appear. Begins to appear. Now, the first time Joe and Jean see this is when they're lying in bed. The light is off. The bedroom door swings open by itself. And in the street light filtering in through the landing window, they see a solid outline of what appears to be a tall hooded figure. Joe immediately turns the bedside light on and the figure disappears. See, I would have pulled up the sheet of protection. <laughs> Just pull that sheet of protection <laughs> yeah, over your head and it all goes everything. away. Yes. And then another time, Philip turns to look through the doorway into the kitchen and he sees the same figure, tall and featureless, as he says, clad in black drapery, seemingly in the act of sinking down through the kitchen floor and disappearing. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. No, a few days later... Now, May Mountain, (laughs) they're the neighbours. That's the neighbours. The Mountain family are the next uh, next door Mm neighbours and the lady is called May. Uh, The Pritchard's next door neighbour claimed that a similar apparition appeared to her while she was alone in her own kitchen. So she's standing at the kitchen sink and she had the feeling that someone had come up close behind her. She assumed it was her nephew playing a joke, turned around to say, you naughty boy. But instead she sees what looks like a tall, monk-like figure dressed in full-length black robes with a large cowl which hung down obscuring the face, mm. standing within arm's reach. Now, she's got quite familiar with all the bangings and crashings and the happenings next door at the Pritchard's house and had some experiences themselves with the drumming and, and knocking sounds that filled their house. Uh, but the sudden appearance of this figure, instead of terrifying her, just startled her. And after a few seconds, which that can seem like an eternity, Mm -hmm. the tall, silent figure vanished. Right. This seemed to be the end for the monk. And these brief encounters of it appearing and coming face-to-face with the residents at 30 East Drive were to be the final days of the haunting The monk, after it slid down through the floor into the abyss of darkness underneath, wherever that might be, never bothered the family again. Now, the Pritchards eventually moved out and sold the house in 2012. But we have to say that Jean held on to the bitter end. She was not going to be put off by that 
blasted poltergeist. She she stayed as long as she possibly could. Yep. And she didn't move far away. She moved around the corner, didn't she? She is still in the same area. Yeah. Not sure if she's still with us today, but she didn't go very far. Okay, so let's look a little bit more deeply at all of this. Let's look who had anything to gain from this haunting. And in actual fact, the family didn't have anything to gain. They didn't approach newspapers. They didn't make a fuss of it. All they wanted was for all of this to stop. And so only when these stories came out did authors or people who felt that they might be able to make some money out of it and tell this story, did they end up coming to the surface? So remember, originally it was just small newspaper items that would appear in local newspapers, like the the Pontefract and Castleford Express and the Yorkshire Post. Colin Wilson, who was a well-known author, picked up on this story. Well, he was actually introduced by Tom... Cunniff, I think it was, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So, like, because in this era, they'd kept quiet about it. Not many people heard about it. So around the end of the 70s, the stories of haunted houses and possessed buildings were very much in vogue, basically because of Amateurville mm-hmm. and Jay Anson's uh, best-selling book, which we talked about in episode one. Uh, so if you want to know more about the uh, Long Island home and what went down there, go back and listen to episode one. So Tom Cunniff sent his report of the Pritchards and what happened to this Colin Wilson. Now, he's he's saying that this is the British version of the Amateurville horror just waiting to be written because um, this Wilson guy had written a great book called The Occult and it had sold really well. So he thought he will send it to him and maybe there's money to be made from this. Who knows? But... He also uh, thought of himself as a, a very budding paranormal author and mm. and after reading um, the stories of the Amityville Horror and uh, The Exorcist, he decided that he could do better. Mm. That was rubbish considering what he could write. Yeah, but this Wilson guy was actually quite a sceptic and it was only through his own research and experiences that he became to be a believer in the paranormal. And it was 14 years later that he finally got to Pontefract and interviewed the family uh, in 1980. So he sort of familiarised himself with the local history that the Yorkshire men suggested was the root of the phenomena. So this is where the whole idea of the uh, monk came about, was because of this Tom Cunniff. Now, um, Wilson said that he was not going to write a book because he decided that the facts themselves are already as sensational as anything in recorded history of poltergeist hauntings. So instead, the material formed a lengthy chapter in the writer's full-length international study of phenomena, and that book was called Poltergeist, A Study of Destructive Hauntings by Colin Wilson. So I thoroughly recommend you get that one out and have a look at it if you've got the opportunity. So, Renata, what happened to the house after uh, all this went down? So the house eventually sold by Philip Pritchard. So that's the son. Yeah. Yep. To the British advertiser and film producer Bill Bungay, who decided he was going to do a movie. 
out of this whole story. So it kind of really fitted in. The house was sold really cheaply. No one had lived in there for ages and ages. And Bill decided that when he purchased this house, it was going to be fabulous to do the opening night um, of the movie in the house. And he was quite a sceptic. He didn't believe any of this stuff. And uh, he I don't think he actually had looked into a lot of the phenomena. No, but the, apparently the crew had quite a few paranormal experiences while they were making the ah. movie. Now, yeah. a lot of it was actually done on a set. Yeah, but part, part of it was filmed on location and it was actually directed by Gene Pritchard's nephew, Pat Holden. And he wrote it as well. And he witnessed many of these incidents firsthand. He was part of the family and he would come in as a child when his parents went in to speak to the Pritchards and he would listen to all of these stories. So they were very much embedded in his mind. As the film about the haunting hit cinemas and public interest in the haunting rose, again, it sparked numerous visitors to the house. And locals claimed that the black monk of Pontefract began to stir again. Now, I have to ask, is this because the public started to feed energy into this again? Had anything happened to the house while it was laying quiet and empty for many years? Yes. Do we call them back and do we reanimate them Mm. by giving their memory energy? Good question. I do remember uh, the story there about the neighbour asking Philip had they sold the house at one stage because um, they could hear the TV playing very loudly next door. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, the house has been empty. It's been empty for a long time. Uh, I just want to talk a minute about what Holden said about his mother. Mm. Um and now remember, this was a psychic. This is who, the one who yeah, tried to hold the seance. Who tried to hold the seance and a mattress was thrown at her. Was that the one? Yeah. That's the one. Yep. So he says, I'm sceptical myself, but my mum and my auntie were very down-to-earth working-class people. They were very ethical and moral and they were quite religious. The idea of them making something like this up, I just can't imagine that happening. Also, it's not just their word for it. There were so many people who saw it firsthand. So he goes on to say it was the mayor, the police, they had psychic investigators, friends and family, and so many people saw things happen. It makes you think there's a good chance that it must have happened. They can't all be lying. And he talks about his mum and his aunt and he says, these women were tough old birds <laughs> who had been through the war and now led routine lives. My mum played bingo. She did the shopping and went to the working men's club with my dad. I think she found the ghost exciting for a while. Mm-hmm. House proud Jean, meanwhile, became locked in a battle of wills. I'm convinced, and she was convinced, it tried to wind her up because she was so fastidious. So here's this whole sense of humour thing happening again with this entity, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, every time Jean cleaned up. <laughs> the poltergeist would throw stuff yeah, around just Fred to piss her off. Yeah, Fred would just make a mess. Let's press buttons. So he threw objects, slashed photos, created puddles of water, smashed eggs, banged on things. People going past the house could hear all of this stuff. Wow, how embarrassing for the family. So the family, of course, named him Fred and tried to take the piss out of it. 
says Holden. Their self-defence mechanism was humour, which is, again, a very northern thing to do. So when Holden interviewed Diane, the daughter, at the house for research, she refused to go back into the lounge. There's a lot of stuff she doesn't even want to talk about, he said. You can tell it has affected her badly. So now we've got Bill Bungay who has bought the house and he's done the premiere in there. He's described as very level-headed and personable, ad man, filmmaker type of guy. Um, And as we said, he didn't believe in a lot of this stuff, but he wouldn't spend a night there himself. Um, And since he's had experiences now with the house, he is a bit more of a believer and uh, he actually, when he comes into the house, he addresses the ghost and says, hi, Fred, it's just me. I'm coming in. Um, won't stay long. So he talks to the entity as if it's a, a real person to show it respect. There is the Tom Cunniff who has introduced the idea of the monk. Now, he said that the spirit in the house is the spirit of a monk from a nearby Cluniac, we're not sure, Clunaic monastery, who was hung for rape and murder on a nearby gibbet. So this is the the hanging Mm -hmm. platform we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. in the 16th century and then flung down a well. He first appeared in the late 1960s and terrorised the Pritchard family until they moved out. But this is where the whole concept of the monk has come from. It's his uh, assumption. Was there any proof at that stage? Absolutely none. And did the monk appear after he made this suggestion or before? Uh, The monk didn't show itself or the figure didn't show itself until the second set of uh, hauntings. And this was well and truly towards the end. So this whole energetic form had no form until it was almost literally gone. Yeah. So they would put this idea of the monk forward. Mm. There was never any evidence as far as anyone has seen through research that uh, a monk was hanged for rape at Pontefract. And, yes, Pontefract does have monasteries. And there is a stream that supposedly runs underneath this house. There is. As the house was being built, apparently there were children who said they saw a well and they were kids. It could have been a sewer system that was being built in there if assumed it's a well. So have they created this, this monk by saying that it could be a monk. And so as we've seen, the poltergeist or the ghost or whatever it is has been quite happy to try and present itself in the way that you make suggestions for, like ripping up family photos or or whatever it is. So has it just tried to be obliging and show itself as a monk because that's what they described it as? And therefore, is it actually a true poltergeist or is it an intelligent entity that Mm. is creating poltergeist-type activity? Mm. Yeah, so now we're going to bring it all into the present day. And um, I was listening to an interview with Dave Schrader from Darkness Radio and Richard Estep. Now, Richard Estep wrote the book Trail of Terror, and in there he has a, a chapter devoted to this house. He was lucky enough to spend five days in there, and the owner, Bill, said, you go into the house, you report whatever happens and be honest. I don't need you to do 
I don't need you to make up stories. I want you to report it honestly. So um, he did that, and they had activity happen straight away as soon as they went in there. Uh, one of the team members felt like he was being held down at the sink, and um, it was like his his feet were weighted in position, and then he said he felt burning across his back, and mm-hmm. they had three scratches across the back. Now, of course, everyone jumps to the whole, oh, it's a mocking of the Trinity, which mm-hmm. then they link to the it's monk. evil. <laughs> which I don't necessarily believe in, and um, Richard doesn't either. It, it's just that's a person's personal bias seen through the eyes of religion. Uh, they did have activity, um, but when they first arrived, Bill came to show them the house and they'd been there just a short while. Nothing was happening at that stage. And they said, let's go out and have lunch and then we'll come back and set up. So Richard thought, I'm just going to go and hide a digital recorder somewhere in the house so that if anyone tries any shenanigans mm-hmm. to set It'll stuff up, it will be caught. Yes. So he puts a recorder up behind the clock on the landing, I think it was, and they go out, they come back, open up the door, and the mirror that had been hanging on the wall for many, many years was laying on the ground, cracked in half. Mm-hmm. And he went, yes, I've got them. So then he revealed that he had a recorder, so they all went and got the recorder immediately and listened to it. Mm-hmm. There was nothing there until the mirror fell and broke. Wow. Now, uh, I've had this experience myself at Maitland Jail Mm -hmm. where um, I had a digital recorder in my hand and we heard this noise as we opened a cell door and went, ah. And then all of a sudden one of those traffic cones, those orange traffic cones, hit the wall next to me and landed at my feet. And I thought that was someone just playing silly buggers. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, right. So I raced outside to check who it was and I couldn't find anyone. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that Maitland Jail is all like cement and bricks and concrete. Any little sound is picked up. And I thought, okay, we'll find it on the recorder. I've played it back. Nothing. Mm -hmm. All I could hear was this noise, well, obviously not that loud, mm-hmm. um, as the traffic cone came up off the ground mm-hmm. and then you hear it hitting the ground and me there going, oh, yeah, right, sure. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. We tried recording to see if you could capture footsteps. You could clearly hear footsteps. So um, that's when we were trying to debunk it. Yeah. And he did the same thing. They tried to sneak in and see if they could go quietly. There's nothing. Those recorders pick up every Everything, little noise. Yes. Yep. So I thought that was interesting. Now, there was also... Another thing Dave mentioned, they had a similar thing with the dust happen at the Palmer House, which is in America. They had this white greyish powder Mm -hmm. falling, not from the ceiling, but from midair, and they actually managed to get a sample of it. Mm -hmm. So what did this powder turn out to be? Turned out to be human biological powder. What? So that sort of means like a cremated person or atomized people. <laughs> right. <laughs> but look, one of the things that they say with this, this particular haunting is that it was such a loss to the psychical research world because it happened before this stuff was in vogue and popular. Nobody went around to actually record the phenomena and uh, unlike the Enfield where they've got pictures and they've got psychical researchers in, 
there is nothing. All they've got is the the stories from the family. And a lot of the research and interviews with the family happened 10 years after the event. Yeah, so they're recounting their event Yes. Later on. And we all know how our memory Absolutely. gets corrupted. Now, even Colin Wilson changed his mind, didn't he? Yes, yes. Now, this is the author of the Poltergeist book. Yeah. And a lot of people who research poltergeists believe that there must be a living connection. There must be something that is occurring with someone that is alive and creating this energetic form. So... There normally is some young child involved in the whole process. And in this story, of course, we've got uh, Philip and Diane, yeah. perfect age. And notice that there was a gap of two years. So mm-hmm. Philip was 15. Yeah. And, and then two years later, yeah, we're getting Diane, Diane is 14. Yeah. So, you know, that's logical and that sort of fits into the hypothesis about what poltergeists might um, be coming from or their source energy. The problem is that we have one instance where Diane is literally dragged up the stairs by her cardigan, her hair all frazzled and standing up on edge and fingers appear, like fingertip marks appear around her neck as if there's a hand that tried to strangle her. Now, if you think about someone creating an energetic form, would they create an energetic form that in such a massive way turns onto them and tries to strangle them or is so uh, abusive or assaulting to them? And this is where this all seemed to change in many researchers' minds. It was like, well, okay, up to this point, Anything that's occurring is occurring away from that source of energy, so away from the children, away from whoever is producing this energy if, in fact, the poltergeist energy is being created by someone who is living. So things are happening to other people. But in this case, this energy now turns on to one of the younger children and starts to attack it. So therefore... Is this poltergeist energy that is being created coming from an internal source or an external source? Now, this starts to do people's heads in because this case is very unusual. But I, in relation to that, she was able to stop the phenomena. When she relaxed. When she relaxed. Yes. So maybe both of these kids have had some sort of um, psi ability uh, whereas Philip manifested away from him externally, mm-hmm. Diane has manifested, so it affected her directly. See, yeah, we're going now, down the rabbit now hole. we're going down the rabbit <laughs> hole. Oh my gosh! I guess it's up to our listeners to decide. Yeah, and, and look, yeah, I, I contemplate had, this. I had the experience of sitting at that poltergeist house. I sat on those very stairs. I was watching you. There's a photo of me there that I'm sitting there going, please throw something at me. Please, (laughs) I beg you. Um, And then I got to do a lone vigil sitting up on the top landing in front of those three bedrooms. I was blindfolded. Mm -hmm. And um, we were watching you downstairs. You had monitors on me. Yeah, on the monitor. 
going, throw something at her. Yeah. Throw, please throw something at her. And I have to admit, like, I'm, I'm pretty steadfast when it comes to this sort of stuff, but there was something about that house when mm-hmm. I was sitting there blindfolded and unable to see what was happening. I had trust in you guys that you would look after me if things went down. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to have an experience, so I started to try and press buttons on this, uh, the Black Fryer ghost or whatever it was, and um, I started to say, You didn't start to swear, did you, Anne? Oh, just might have a little bit. <laughs> I called him a few names. Oh, no. But I did have that sense of something turning its eyes onto me and start to come in at me, mm-hmm. and at that stage I took off the blindfold and said, that's it, enough, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And I came downstairs. Um, we didn't have the opportunity of staying overnight because we had to rush back <laughs> in the morning, but a few of the people that were there did stay overnight. I have to say that while we were there... Not much happened. Not much happened, no. no. I, I would have really have loved to have the opportunity to be in the house. We had one big bang. On my own, yeah. That started off fairly early in the evening. Yes, um, but that was about it. Yeah. And, I mean, we have heard stories from other investigators who have been to the house that said not much happened and they had a, a suspicion that maybe the neighbour next door was involved with certain tour companies, Yes, that more bangings and rappings would happen when a certain tour company was on. Yes. And at that particular, she would come out and offer people Ten pound clearings or protections on yeah before the evening now, started. This, this is hearsay. <laughs> this is this this is from people we know and trust that they will tell us the right story. Yes, but we did not experience it ourselves, and we had the tour company that didn't involve the lady next door. Mm-hmm. So who knows? We'll just throw that out there. But I have to say that um, I believe this was this was a real one. Yes, so do I. The people so involved. I don't seem to have any reason to make up these stories and it was all before publicity took off on it and um, I I think they were very brave to last as long as they did. Mm. And as we know, if you're living in a home that's haunted, you are there all the time. So you get to encounter um, every bit of activity that occurs. Now, at the moment, the house is a tourist site. People come and spend the night. They pay their money. People aren't there in between. So, you know, maybe it's just a completely different environment. Maybe things still do happen. Maybe they don't. Maybe the energy is now being created over such a long period of time that it exists because we want it to exist. Who knows? And they say that for some people the phenomena is absolutely insane and for other people that come in it's dead quiet. But do you know what? I want to go back with the knowledge that we have now, knowing that it's a very playful entity sometimes. Yes. And see if we can get it to party with us and actually make something happen. Mm. What do you reckon? Oh, I reckon that's when we can actually get out of Australia, that's that's on the to-do list. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. And next time, join us for the poltergeist of Humpty Doo. Cannot wait for that one. See you next time on True Hauntings. So, Renata, something weird just happened. It did. <laughs> just 
Slightly freaked out. Okay, so we've just finished recording the Black Monk of Pontefract episode for our podcast. Mm -hmm. And then we heard some noises. Mm Mm-hmm. So just to let you all know, it is raining today. It's been raining for the last 12 hours. So, yes, we have to account for that. We have to account for the wind that is also howling outside. But this was something different. It started off as a few knocks, which seemed to be located uh, ceiling height. Yeah, and oh, I just ignored it because... There's that ceiling thing again. Yeah, I know, and I'm just I'm waiting for the dust to fall now. Oh. Um, I, I, I was thinking maybe it was the neighbour hammering something or doing mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. but... Um, I added my two cents worth in and said it's probably a bird. Because <laughs> that's what, you know, bird pecking at the side. I, I have to admit that, that my house is only about six feet, about two metres away from the, the neighbour. We've got a path between the two houses. Mm-hmm. But that noise was not from across the road, so to speak. No, but there was silence for a while, yeah? Yeah. And we went on doing what we were doing, and then all of a sudden, what happened next, Anne? We started to hear this. And it seemed to, like it was moving down the side of the house, getting closer to us, and then went past us and further away. I thought, well, someone's trying to get our attention, but... My dogs, who will go berserk at anyone knocking at the door, were doing nothing. So I've said, all right, well, I'll go and work out what's happened. So I've opened up a window and I can't see anyone out there. So with that, I've raced out the front and looked down the side between the two houses. There is no one anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, these these were definite knocks, absolute definite knocks yeah. that came in groups of three. Yep. Knock, knock, knock. Oh, you know what that means. Knock, knock, knock. Group of three. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> knock, knock, knock. And, yes, it did go past me. Yeah. It, it went past me along and I thought someone is trying to get our attention to maybe open the front door. Yeah. And can I just say that? The, the, the reason why I freaked out is because this is something my dad used to do. Uh, my auntie Zell used to live in this house and she rented it from him and um, she had a heart condition. So she was elderly. She used to have naps. So he would come down the side of the house and he'd go, Auntie Zell, I'm here. Tap, tap. I'm here. I'm just coming in. And uh, on this particular day, he came into the house. He hadn't heard her respond, came up to the bedroom and just very lightly tapped and said, Anizel, it's me, I'm here. She sat bolt upright in her bed, clutched her chest oh, no. and died in oh, front of my father. No. In oh, my this gosh. room. Oh my gosh. So I'm just having a whole heap of things now, going on here. You've just gone on and you've tried to ring your husband, you've tried to ring your, your father, yep. you've tried to ring anyone <laughs> just to make sure they're okay. Yeah, no, I have heard from my dad. He's fine, but I can't get through to my husband now. So I'm just, okay. Yep, that's okay. I'm sure everything's fine, but. Uh-huh. We haven't heard them since. Is, we is haven't it, heard them since. It's is now- it the ghost of? Zell, or yeah. is it the Black Friar Pontefract mm. <laughs> Poltergeist that's come to visit? <laughs> so, just to give you a timestamp on that, it is or it was one forty-five in the afternoon when it happened. Yep. So, let's see what happens next day. Eh? So, let's hope that we're here for the next podcast, huh? Mm. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. 
For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.